Hi, I'm Jane O'Reilly and this is Ageless. I'm 40 and my life is just getting started. I'm here to share real talk and real experiences about how to live life ageless. Nothing's off the table. You know the vibes. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to Ageless. I'm Jane O'Reilly. I'm your host. And today I am joined by an exciting new guest and he is so fascinating to me. Guy P. Harrison is a passionate advocate for science and reason. He's an award-winning writer and author of eight highly acclaimed books. He has written for many publications, including Skeptical Inquirer, Skeptic, Reader's Digest, and Psychology Today. He's visited 35 countries on six continents and is a guest lecturer at Dartmouth College, Portland State University, New School of Public Engagement in New York City, and other various organizations. He has more than 20 years experience in news media, and he's passionate about science fiction, nature, and fitness. So that's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Welcome to Ageless Guy. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Jana. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Awesome. So what I wanted to start by asking is how? How did you get your inspiration for all the above? What was it that led you to science, the brain, and a passion for reason and skepticism? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's kind of a long journey, but the 30-second answer is that I think I think it originated in just my childhood curiosity. You know, I, from the time I was, gosh, probably five, six, I've always been very, very curious about the world, about the people around me. And, you know, space and just all these things. I had so many questions and I grew up in a small town in Florida, so I wasn't surrounded by, you know, philosophers or anything like that, but it was a, it was a beautiful childhood in that I was exposed to nature a lot. And I was exposed to, you know, many uh, uh, diverse people, I'll say. So I had, you know, I had a lot to work with and, and I just somehow that, that original curiosity has has matured over the years you know as i grew up it just and it's still a work in process but it's led me to just constantly be a student of the universe you know i'm just always learning you know college for me was just you know four years along the way it wasn't like oh that's when i was a student and then i became a grown-up or something i have never stopped being a student and i'm so i have this uh attitude that I, I just wake up every day with. And there's the, it's that, you know, I am so ignorant. There is so much I don't know. And instead of freaking me out or making me feel bad about myself, it drives me, it motivates me to try to learn a little bit more about, you know, how things work and what it all means, you know, history, what has happened before us, the science of microbes, all the amazing little invisible creatures that are all around us, on us, inside of us. You know, there's just so much going on in space, all this stuff happening out there and the way humans interact, you know, it's just an endless, fantastic ride. You know, my only, you know, my only complaint is that I don't get to live to be, you know, a million years old so I can see more of it and learn even more, but you know, you get what you get. So I just try to do my best. And I, I've, I still have a lot of that little Florida boy inside of me. And so it's really easy for me to, 
you know, when I speak to kids or I speak to adults or I write a book or an article or an essay, it's easy for me to pour a lot of passion into it and to try to get people excited about it. Because to me, it, it ain't no act, you know, this really is a fantastic universe. And it kind of, kind of breaks my heart that many, many people just sort of miss it all. You know, they just get so wrapped up in nonsense or, or, <clears throat> Or they just don't think it's important or, you know, they just stop learning once they leave high school or they leave college and they think, you know, now I'm this other form of life and I don't learn anymore. And that's heartbreaking because, man, it makes life so much more interesting and exciting. And there's a practical side to it. The more you know, the more science you know, the more history you know the better your chances of sidestepping those potholes of civilization, all these little traps and minefields that are everywhere, all these scammers and con artists out there, all these sincere but deluded people who will take your money in a heartbeat and lead you down some crazy path. You know, you, the more you know, you're not invulnerable to any of it because we're all humans. We're all vulnerable to being misled or making mistakes. But I tell you, the more you know, the safer you are. And that's a fact. I love that. And you've covered a lot of ground, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, well, I, what do you mean? It's literally or in, in the world? I mean, yeah. 35 <laughs> countries. How did yeah. you do that? Well, well, okay. Well, my ego is wounded because it's actually 38 now. Okay. So let's oh be accurate here. Okay. 38. 30, okay. 30, <laughs> 35 is so that's trivial. Yeah. I'm up to 38 now. No, but that's amazing. No, that's, that's part of, uh, that's part of my curiosity right there because, you know, I have my academic background is in history and anthropology. So I love people, you know, I mean, uh, individual humans scare me quite often, but collectively as a whole humankind, I mean, so much potential there, so much beauty there. I'll never give up on it, no matter how crazy our species is. And I, from an early age, I decided I'm going to go see this wild, crazy, weird world out there, you know? So I strategically chose countries, you know, spread around the world so I could really get a taste of, you know, a flavor of this planet and its people. And I tell you, it's added so much to me. And I encourage people, please travel as much as you can. And, and don't get trapped into the tour bus and the Hyatt Hotel, you know. When you travel, as long as you research, you know, don't be reckless about it. You got to be safe. You got to be thoughtful. But it, when you travel, you I, I can't stress this enough. Travel as a human at home, not as an American going to some exotic, bizarre wilderness out there in cuckoo land, you know, where the people dress differently and speak strange languages. No, I don't care who you are, where you live now, when you travel, you're not leaving home. You're on earth. This planet is your home. And everyone you meet, anywhere you go, those are family members. You know, we're all 99.9% .9 genetically identical. We exaggerate, you know, our few differences to, oh my gosh, absurd exaggerations. We make it all so important. But the fact is we have so much more in common. And, you know, in my travels, all these different places, Africa, Asia, Australia, South America, I, I've always had that attitude and it's allowed me to uh, connect with locals in a much easier way, you know, to make it more, not tourists meeting local, but you know, just a guy meeting another, you know, fellow human somewhere else. And it's great. I mean, so yeah, please, you know, your listeners, 
travel as much as you can and travel as a human on earth because that's what you are. Absolutely. I love to travel. I actually haven't been able to take a trip in a few years because I've been really busy with my business. But whenever I do, I make sure that I do it on foot or I will travel like a local and I'll jump into a taxi cab and say exactly that. You know, show me what you do. Take me around and and show me what you do. I, I went to Jamaica one year. Yeah, and that's yeah, exactly great. what I did. And it was beautiful. I'd never seen a rainforest before. And oh, wow. I jumped into the taxi cab and said, I want to do your day. What would you do today? And he ended up taking me to see his girlfriend who worked at a rum <laughs> bar. And yeah. like we just cruised around and I yeah. loved it. And so that's yeah. why I love to travel. Yeah, just that's so, so much and, more. I, I, you know, and the, just to hear how excited you are describing that, think you, you think of how your experience would have been if you were packed in with fifty other Americans on a bus and you were just kind of looking at Jamaica blur by on a window or something, and you weren't getting out and actually talking to real Jamaicans and just hanging out. You know, that's what that's what makes a, a visit you know meaningful and memorable. Absolutely. I've never taken a tour. I would never be on a tour bus. That's just not how I like to travel. It's too organized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can use them. You know, I, let me quick little footnote here. I don't condemn uh, organized tours. I've used them sometimes because they can be really efficient to get you places. And sometimes if it's a dangerous place, they're the safest option. So and, and if, you know, once people get older or maybe they have certain challenges, it might be the only option. So, yeah, they can be good. It's just I'm just saying don't default to that. Too many Americans do that. And they really don't need to. I absolutely agree with that. Um, Well, I want to sidestep real quick because the reason why I had to hunt you down (laughs) is because (laughs) about four years ago, I read your book, Good Thinking, and it really made me go inward and think like a skeptic for the first time ever. And what is good thinking and how does one do it? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, that word skeptic, a lot of people probably heard that that are listening and cringed a little bit because skeptic kind of has a bad rap. And I understand why, because some people who go around calling themselves skeptics can be very uh, abrasive and actually closed minded. And my response to that is you're not doing it right. Okay. Because true skepticism from a, a scientific perspective, from a logical perspective, is open-minded. It, it simply means you don't accept stuff without asking a few questions first and maybe asking for a little evidence. It doesn't mean you say, I know what's real and what's not. I know what's right and wrong because I'm a skeptic. You know, that is a complete lack of humility. So skeptic, I, in fact, I often describe my skepticism as constructive skepticism, just to kind of put that in there, that feeling in there that it's not this rigid kind of doctrine oriented thing. Okay. Because a lot of people have that idea and it might make them even shy away from skepticism, which is a very good thing that we all should have more than most of us do. But yeah, good, good thinking is my sort of umbrella term for really just understanding the human brain and trying your best to use it in ways that help you make rational decisions, you know, identify deception, um, and uh, just constantly question yourself. Most important thing of all, you know, it's not the con artist out there that's your biggest threat, really. It's the con artist inside your skull because 
your brain has all these shortcuts and little gimmicks and these routines. It runs like a little program in your head that you're not consciously aware of. And so it, on a regular basis, it serves you up answers that the brain kind of instinctively thinks, yeah, this is good enough for the moment. This will get us through the day. This will work. So yeah, go here. Let's do it. But, and then your conscious mind hears that answer, receives that message and goes, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, here we go. Buy that ridiculously overpriced TV. It makes perfect sense, you know, but you actually your brain's leading you astray. So good thinking is really just a, it's a way, you know, it, a couple of things it would include. If I, if somebody said, you know, am I a good thinker? I'd say, yeah, you are. If you understand the, the structure of the brain, the, the basic, the very basic processes of a standard human brain doesn't mean you have to be a neuroscientist. Okay. Nobody should cringe and be worried about this. Like it's some, you have to go take courses at the local university It's very basic stuff. Just understanding how a vision, works, for example, how memory works, for example, because most people, I mean, like more than 90% of people do not know how human vision works and memory works. Think two things they rely on every single day. And by not understanding those things, how they work, you constantly set your up, you set yourself up to be uh, misled. You know, you misperceive things, you misremember things, and so you make bad decisions. And if you simply knew how those things worked, you'd be a little more careful about it. You'd be a, that that awareness would protect you. Um, you, you got to understand something about nutrition, fitness, overall physical health is crucial to brain processes, to brain health, to brain longevity. So yeah, I, it's interesting. Early in my life, I've you know I've been running and lifting weights since I was thir 12, 13 years old, probably twelve, and and I've learned so much along the way. I'm like fifty eight now, and along that path, I've learned so much. And I just realized something, uh, maybe maybe 10 years ago that my motivations have quietly kind of shifted where as early in life, I wanted to be a great athlete. I wanted to, you know, not look bad, you know, for the girls, whatever. I don't know how to say that heartfully, but that I, 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 you know, I, those were kind of the primary motivations, be fit, you know, look like Tarzan or something like that. But what's happened is I've transitioned. The more I've learned about the brain and what it requires and how important the brain is and all this stuff. Now I swear my motivation is, wow. When I go running now, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm making my brain last longer in life. When I lift weights, I'm thinking, yeah, not only am I still, it, it all after all these years, I'm still getting stronger, which is amazing. You know, when you think about how, how, how special and beautiful weight training is, you can still improve in your 50s. I mean, that is magical. And, and yet I'm, I'm using brain science as a motivation to keep me in the gym and keep me not just showing up in the gym and not just showing up, you know, running, but, but highly motivated trying to be better every day. You know, it's, it's amazing. So yeah, the, the more you learn about the brain and how, you know, eating blueberries and leafy green vegetables and getting enough sleep and how strength training specifically and how aerobic exercise, walking, you know, all those kind of things can have such an impact on how well your brain works and how, like I said, how long it can last, you know, literally holding off. If you get Alzheimer's, you can literally hold off the ravishing, ravaging effects of Alzheimer's by exercising daily, you know, by a lifetime of exercise. You can make it 
So yeah, it may get you in the end, but it's going to have to work for it. It's going to have to really, really come at you hard because your brain is ready for it. Your brain is so wired up and dense with neural networks that it can handle that, that assault for much longer than a person who's sedentary would be able to. So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of rambling here. Sorry, but also, no, I love it. Oh, okay. One, one more thing. Yeah. So crucial to, for good thinking is people. And again, most people don't realize this is you got to understand that 99% of your, your mental activity is subconscious. It's happening below the surface of your brain there. It's happening in the dark waters of the subconscious and all this activity is going on, literally taking an input from the world around you listening to people and conversation, looking at things, reading a book, um, all this stuff is, all this input's going in and your subconscious mind, the shadow brain is sorting it, analyzing it and making decisions and reactions based on that input. And then it bubbles up to that little tiny little bit of surface there that's your conscious awareness. And then you go, yeah, okay, let's do it. You know, let's buy it. Let's join this club. Let's go here. Let's let's uh, uh, commit to get married to this person. You know, and you think it all happened in your conscious mind when no, <laughs> you know, you've got all these unseen, unheard uh, activities going on in your brain. And the thing is, most of it, and it's not. A, I'm not condemning the human brain. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's crazy how good it works. You know. But you've just got to be aware that does this really make sense from a from a logical, rational, evidence-based, scientific perspective? Or am I being is my subconscious mind reacting to emotions, um, bad memories, authority bias? You know, am I being, you know, am I responding to this person in front of me because they've got a, a white lab coat on and for no other reason? The guy might be a total idiot, but he's wearing a lab coat. So he must be smarter than me because he's got a white lab coat on, right? No, your, your subconscious mind is reacting to that signal of authority that you've been taught. And so you may not even realize it, you know, so you've got to constantly question yourself, challenge yourself. And I tell you, one of the key things to good thinking is changing your mind. You've got to be willing to say, damn, I got that wrong. You know, let's, let's. The way, I, the way I kind of view it is I personally kind of constantly try to weed the garden, you know, the garden of my brain. I'm always trying to pick out the weeds and find bad decisions, bad beliefs, uh, mistakes I've made and try to note them and be aware of them and admit them so I can move forward. You know, it's nothing. And this is hard because your subconscious brain will say, no, no, cling to the belief, stick to it. No, hold your ground, you know, because it doesn't like to change because it thinks, it, see, the, the brain is trying to get you through the next minute, the next 24 hours. It doesn't care about 20 years from now. It doesn't care if the book you're reading makes any sense or the TV documentary you're watching is honest. It doesn't care as long as it fits in the moment. But you're, you've got a bigger game to play, your conscious self. You're playing high stakes for a lifetime. And you live in this ultra complex, wild and crazy thing called civilization, which our prehistoric ancestors never had to deal with. You know, they were kind of grounded more in the real day to day, whereas we got social media, we've got lying politicians, we've got, you know, 
200 nutty friends on Facebook telling us all these things. So we've got to do a better job. We've got to be more alert about what's happening in our brains. Okay, sermon over. Sorry about that. No, don't <laughs> apologize at all. I just, you know, I pushed the microphone away and I was so excited to hear all of that because my favorite chapter, and I think I told you this, uh, my favorite chapter in good thinking was the shadow brain chapter. I found oh, it yeah, yeah. fascinating. I actually had to read it a few a few times because it was so complex to me, but I I understood that and it started to make a little bit my thinking started to make a little more sense to me and yeah, yeah. I just loved it. And then a few chapters later, you there's a line in the book that says our brain makes and takes shortcuts so that we can get stuff done. How does yeah. that work? Because I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, well the brain has oh my gosh. Uh hundreds of just beautiful little shortcuts you know you your brain is is trying to be as efficient as possible for you as it can okay that's why memory and vision don't work the way people think because your brain has worked out over you know millions of years it's worked out ways to cut through the noise that doesn't matter so it can get to the important information so it can keep you alive and it can keep you productive. So it could, you know, in the past, so it could get you the next meal, get you the next drink of water, keep you from being eaten by the big cat that's lurking around and find you a, a mate. So you can push those genes forward another generation. Everything else was whatever, you know, that those are the priorities. And so your brain has come up with these amazing ways of, you know, looking at something and immediately saying danger, safe. Um, you, you remember something, right? You you have a memory. Well, your brain doesn't play. Most people think your brain plays back memories like sort of a video camera recording, you know, like you watch a replay of what happened yesterday. Not even close. What we have, what scientists have learned is that your brain's actually sort of like an archaeologist that uses artifacts of the past to piece together a story keyword, their story of the past that is meant to be useful to you in the moment. So you can take the next step forward in a safe and productive manner. Now it leaves out, the, one of the way I described it in the book is um, imagine in your head, you've got this little old codger, this old man that sits around a campfire somewhere in your brain, right? And he is your memory. And when you say, Hey, what? Let's see. Two years ago, what did I do that day at work when, when Ralph got fired, and then I had to go talk to the boss and blah blah blah. And you tap the old man on the shoulder and you say, "Hey, give serve up. Tell me that memory about that day." So he goes, "Okay, sit down." You sit by the campfire. He tells you a story about that day, and that story is highly edited because the old man in your head leaves out the stuff that he feels or irrelevant, or unimportant, and even worse, he may embellish a bit, he may add some things that he thinks will be useful for you, that he thinks will make the story more useful in the moment for you, or protect your emotions, maybe. He might leave something out because, you know, it might make you cry, it might be too sad, so he'll just leave that out of the story, you know, he's protecting you. And he may add something to make you seem more heroic. So you feel good. Yeah, even though it never happened. You know, it's crazy when you think about it. That's what your memories are. And he may even make a mistake. This is very common in memories. He, he may conflate 
other memories with that memory, just uh, just a mistake, you know, because there's some weird similarity in some of the artifacts. So he'll have you remembering, you know, what you did at Yosemite, that vacation 10 years ago. And in that memory of that vacation, he'll throw in a conversation you had with your mother. But that actually happened 20 years earlier. But you can swear it happened there. and You can see it in your head. You know, that's what's crazy about memories. Uh, confidence means nothing. You, you will literally be able to feel 100% confident in a memory. You will see it in your head as it happened, but it never happened. And this is proven. And, and memories, human memories can be easily influenced by input. You can walk up to someone and say, hey, remember that time last year, buddy, when we were, um, we were arguing about something and then we made up and then we went and had you know, dinner at that restaurant. And then you'd be like, yeah, I remember. And when in reality, you had an argument, you made up, but you never went to dinner. But then the memory suddenly in your head is that, yeah, afterwards you went to dinner and it was great. That becomes a real memory for you just because somebody said it. I mean, it's nuts, you know? <laughs> so you got to be aware of that. And, and vision, very briefly, I'll just say human vision, you don't see 99% of the world in front of you. Because again, your brain is being efficient. You don't need to see 99% of the, if, if you look out at your front yard right now, if you've got a, a beautiful lawn, you don't need to look out there and see every individual grass blade and every ant walking over a grass blade and the whole, your whole field of vision. That would take an insane amount of mental power and it would be useless. And while you're busy inputting all that info, you wouldn't notice, you know, the uh, the lion stalking you from the side or something. So your brain is just giving you what it thinks you need and leaving out what it thinks you don't need. So things like that, common, common basic facts like that, that we all share, you know, the workings of the brain can make us much better thinkers and make us uh, much more efficient in life. Absolutely. I, I guess that just really leads me to my next question. What is the human brain's greatest quality? Yeah, it's hard to pick just one. You know what? I'd say it's it's ability because I'm sitting here talking about all these little traps and pitfalls of the human brain. Well, <laughs> guess what? Guess what? The best thing about the human brain is that it can protect you from your human brain. Yeah, the human brain is so smart that you can use it to protect you from all these things that it's kind of doing against you in many circumstances. So yeah, the brain, I'd say number two, a close number two to that is its flexibility. You know, you can constantly learn things throughout life. In fact, the brain, a lot of people don't know this. You got about, got about uh, the most accurate count of neurons in the brain is about 86 billion neurons, right? These are the, the brain cells. And that sounds like a lot. Well, that's impressive. But what's really meaningful about it is the way they connect because all these neurons constantly connect and make all these different networks in your brain. Every time you learn something, say if you've never crocheted in your life and you take out yarning needles or whatever and you start crocheting, you learn to do it, your brain goes on fire and it creates a whole nother network of crochet you know, skills in your brain. You've added another neural network and these networks are always changing. They're alternating, you know, they're making new connections. And so your brain is like this, this incredible galaxy of stars that are always touching and connecting and they, and it never stops, you know, throughout life. And that's why it's so important for people to constantly learn new things because when, when you're building up new neural networks, 
You're making your brain more dense. You're adding to that, that white matter in the brain. What you're doing is you're making your brain literally healthy. You know, think of it like a muscle, you know, doing bicep curls. You know, when you do that, you're making that muscle denser, stronger. And you're doing that with the brain as well. So like I mentioned, let me, let me tell you a real quick story. Amazing story to show the benefit of lifelong brain activity, learning and staying sharp, what it can do for you. A nun that ran a small private school died of Alzheimer's and scientists autopsied her brain. They took a really good look at it and they were like, wow, her brain was just devastated by Alzheimer's disease, just eaten up. And they questioned the people who knew her. They were like, what was her behavior like? Like what? She must've been really rough with this. And they were like, what? She, and she lived to like 90 or something like that. Very, you know, died at an older age. But they said, what are you crazy? She was the sharpest one of all. She ran the school, you know, balanced the books, all this stuff. She was incredible. Just sharp as a tack till the day she died. And the scientists were absolutely floored. And the conclusion was that her brain was so healthy. She had such a dense and vast forest, rainforest of neural networks living in her brain that when Alzheimer's started ripping through her brain, her brain was able to work around it, to hold it off, to delay it, to push back, to figure out other routes, other networks that could work for her and just keep her in the game, you know? And so that's a strong lesson for all of us, you know? Don't fall into a rut in life. Don't think you've, you know, you've done it all, you've learned it all, and now you just coast until you die or whatever. You have to keep trying, figure out that, you know, learn to juggle, go play tennis, um, read novels, learn a foreign language, learn, learn sign language, um, pick up a science book about a subject you've never known anything about and just start learning, you know, take up astronomy and buy a cheap telescope, you know, because all these things, not only are they going to be you know, fun and exciting, keep your life more interesting, keep your existence from going stale, but you're also doing a wonderful, powerful thing for your brain. I love all of that. <laughs> I really do. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And yeah, it's just about when you were saying coasting through life till you die, like that made me so sad because I know some people like that it breaks my heart. And I can't imagine ever living that way. I mean, there's been periods of time where I was coasting because I just, you know, outside issues, but I, I, I can't imagine living like that. I mean, I'm always yeah. on to the next thing, always trying to yeah. find something new and, and to learn, you know, I just taught myself how to DJ a few years ago because I oh, just, cool. I wanted to have the, I just kind of wanted to be the orchestra instead of yeah. just the singer. You know yeah. what I mean? So, And it was <laughs> hard. Great. It was yeah, really, yeah. really hard to learn, but I did it. And I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. Um, I also but you know what, love, Jane, let, listen, yeah. congrats to you for learning something new like that, especially music too. Things related to music are great for the brain, you know, learning a new instrument. I'm sure DJing is probably the same kind of benefit because you're following the rhythms and you're actually influencing it. You're getting, you're, you're connecting with that musical rhythm and all that is great for the brain. But listen, Jenna, every, you know, when you learn DJing, not only were you giving yourself that emotional reward, you know, you feel good about something, you've accomplished something new, you've got this fun new hobby or whatever, but you've also physically, I mean, 
you know, structurally done something great for your brain, you know, always give yourself that extra pat on the back because that's a little bit more motivation to do the next great thing for yourself. I'm usually a heart first kind of person, but now after this call, I'm going to start going brain first. <laughs> well, both. <laughs> See it's how both. that works. Hey, it's, it's both. Listen, when I go on a great run, you know, and I feel really good, like I'll do, like I'm not a typical just plod three miles every day. You know, I, I like to do lots of speed work. I sprint hills. I like, I just love the speed element of it. You know, I'm an old track athlete and I've never, I've never lost that pure joy of just running fast. You know, it feels great. And when I'm doing it, you know, in the moment, oh, it's just pure emotion, you know, because I, I'm in that moment. I'm not thinking, oh, yeah, my great neural network is getting a workout, you know, whatever. I'm just feeling the joy of ripping through the wind, you know, and feeling like, you know, running barefoot on grass. You know, I love that. And it's purely emotional. So, yeah, my, my message is exploit both, you know, exploit that intellectual awareness of what you need for your brain and body but also ride that emotional wave every, every chance you can, you know, for working out or learning new things. Yeah, I agree. And my background is in fitness. So I love that you've been bringing that up and sharing your experience. And oh, it's so important. Yeah. It's so important. I used to, I, I was an athlete as well. And I, I got caught up in the aesthetics around it. You know, I just wanted to be, like you said, the, the Hulk basically and be the strongest, <laughs> the fastest. And, yeah. and and so I used to train that way and, and it was all about aesthetics. But now, you know, I had to go through that and, and not be able to sustain that because if my yeah. motivation is aesthetics alone, I won't even go to the gym. I won't even wow. do it. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. I've just completely changed my mind. And I agree with you with what you said. We have to have the ability to change our mind. I think it's one of the most yeah. powerful things a human being being has is the ability yeah. to change our minds. Yeah. yeah. And um, that also leads me to nutrition. And I know that you had mentioned um, alternative medicine. I talk mm -hmm. about plant-based medicine on this podcast and my experience with my experiences with it. So I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on alternative medicine. Yeah, well, first of all, alternative medicine is a it's a complicated topic because it's such a vast arena where almost it will literally anything goes because once you say alternative medicine, you literally can use that label for anything. So people have to be extremely careful. Okay, alternative medicine does not mean good. All right. It means it hasn't run the gauntlet of, of the scientific method necessarily. Maybe some things have, which are also still referred to as alternative medicine, but that's generally the divide there. And the problem is um, scientific, say evidence-based medicine, traditional, not traditional, but uh, mainstream medical science itself is a continual learning process. It's filled with uh, error. Um, dangers, corruption, you know, there's people that are involved in it. So of course it's going to be error and corruption because that's what people do. The, the, the advantage it has is that it's at least supposed to be evidence-based. Whereas alternative medicine in that arena, you have many things which don't even make a claim to have evidence behind them. You know, literally I could just say, um, I can heal you, you know, try 
trust me. And if I'm charismatic enough and if I'm good looking enough and if I can package my product well enough and pretty enough, there will be people who will buy it without question. And that's wrong because I just made it up. You know, it's, there's nothing to back it up. So you've got to be, you've got to be a good, strong, consistent skeptic, you know, and, but see, the thing is, I don't like to necessarily compare compare that with medical science because I say the same thing about medical science. Just because I go to a mainstream doctor doesn't mean I will accept 100% of what he or she says. I will be skeptical about them. I will question things. I will ask for second opinions. Um, but And here's the problem. I've, I've written about this extensively is that with alternative medicine, too many skeptics, too many scientists, too many doctors just dismiss it with a wave of a hand and say, oh, that's just a bunch of rip off, crazy hocus pocus stuff. And what they're missing is, well, okay, but why is it so appealing then? Why is it so attractive to millions and millions of people? Right. Like what are, what, what are they getting right? Stop pointing out everything they get wrong and question yourself. Why do so many people go to them and not you? And I've researched this. I've gone to uh, alternative medicine practitioners and I've looked around in their waiting rooms and I've talked to them. And wow, I can tell you, there's a consistency there where not all, but many so-called alt-medicine alt practitioners, um, such variation here, I hate to generalize, but they get the people aspect down really well, you know, whereas traditional mainstream medical science too often treats people like, you know, you're just a, a car showing up for an oil change and tire rotations. You're not even a human being. You know what I mean? You're just, you're just showing up at the, uh, the body shop or something. And that is so important to healing and diagnosis as well. Because when you go to, say you go to some holistic healer, you know, they're probably going to talk to you a lot more and ask you many more questions about your lifestyle and what you eat and all that stuff. Doesn't mean all their answers and suggestions are going to be right, but they talk to people as if they're people. Whereas, you know, you go see a doctor, man, you get 15 minutes in that office and your lifestyle, your nutrition, your exercise probably never even comes up. You know, you're like, yeah. how can they make how can they make a sensible decision about my, you know, whatever problem I have or something when they haven't asked anything about how I live, you know? And so right. there's a real problem and, and it's complicated. I'm not condemning uh, medical doctors because, you know, they've got insurance companies to answer to and they've got limitations on their time and all that. I get it. But there, that I, I would love to see a real revolution in mainstream medical science where patients are seen as people and not products or not, um, yeah. you know, like I said, like a car, you know, showing up for a tune up, you know, but people are scared <laughs> when people go into doctor's offices, they're scared. They're, they're confused. They don't know. Like, you don't, we don't even know how to pick doctors. You know, you, what do you look on Yelp reviews to pick out a neuroscientist because you're having headaches all the time? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, we don't know how to rate them properly or judge them as to who's really good and who gets the best outcomes with the most patients. There's no statistics on them that we all have access to. You know, it's, a, it's in a crazy state right now they're pushed and prodded by, like I said, insurance companies and, you know, pharmaceutical companies. So there, there's a mess over there. But then on the so-called alternative medicine side, 
you've got so many con artists and hucksters mixed in with really sincere people and people who've got a hell of a lot of science behind them who are promoting absolutely sensible scientific uh, nutritional habits. And that, you know, you've got holistic healers out there who are telling you exercise and eat right, get enough sleep and all that is completely evidence-based good science. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah. So there's a real real overlap and stuff. And so bottom line is that we all have to be extremely vigilant when it comes to our health. You know, you can't put too much confidence in one guru or one doctor. You can't put too much faith in one treatment or one medication or one uh, lifestyle habit because more things come to light all the time. Sci- the scientific process is constantly revealing more about our bodies, our brains, how we live, what's good for us, what's not good for us. So it's a constant work in progress. You know, like right now in, in one of my books, I, I think it's good thinking. I share this uh, shake I love to make. I throw in blueberries and spinach and kefir milk and uh, a few other things. And I just mix it all up and I drink it. There's nothing magical. I don't have to go to a health food store to buy a bunch of, you know, expensive stuff to put in the shake. Everything I put in there is based on pretty good, hard, solid science that it's good for my brain. It's good for my body. And I don't imagine that by drinking this, that I've, you know, made myself cancer proof and nothing bad can happen to me. Not at all. But I know I'm giving my, my, I'm giving myself what my body wants and my brain wants, you know, what they, what it likes. And I'm pretty confident in that. But if I read tomorrow that, Hey, Oh my gosh, we just figured out blueberries, you know, are terrible. You know, that ain't going to happen. Blue blueberries are good. I'm a big blueberry believer, but, oh, but if, if, but if that were to happen, and I don't mean one isolated study with 10 people, but if there was this massive scientific consensus that, yeah, blueberries, just we didn't realize they got this one toxin in them. Well, you know what I'm going to do? Hey, I'll leave blueberries out of my shake. Okay, I'm convinced. Move on. You know, I'm not going to stick to blueberries, damn it, because my guru told me, no, I'm going to learn, I'm going to adapt, and I'm going to keep moving forward as best I can. You know, that's the, that's the best we can all really do. I think that's the message right there for sure. Uh, well, we are running out of time, which makes me very sad. I could talk oh. to you for <laughs> hours and I would love to have you come back on the show. But oh, I'd love what, to, Jana. No problem. Anytime. Yeah, I feel like we could go on and on on so many different subjects because there's just so much to talk about <laughs> in this exciting world that we live in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wanted to end with this. I loved this quote that I read in your psychology today article, and I'm going to be posting it in the show notes so that other people can read it. And you say, learn, explore, dream. The more we know, the more we can imagine, the more we can imagine, the more we can do. And I thought that was so beautiful and so true. So what I I think it relates to human vision. So what should everybody know about human vision? Yeah. Well, the, as far as uh, your vision, like I touched on earlier, you mean literally vision, right? You mean your eyes. Is that what you're asking about? No, mostly. Or, or you about mean human vision, just... big, like how you view the, the world in your life and all that? Yeah, which... and imagining. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Got me. I went back to the eyeballs. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the best, listen, the, the, like I said, the best we can do, in, in my view, 
you've got these fragile human bodies, which we can make stronger. You know, we can, we can exercise, we can live healthy lifestyles, we can keep our brains active and sharp and strong. But to what end? Why? Why go to all this work? You know, because one makes you healthier in the moment. It makes you feel better that day when you do something, when you go for a run, you lift weights, you eat a great healthy meal, you feel good in the present. When you feel good in the present, you can get more done. And when you get more done, you feel better because you're accomplishing stuff. You're making progress in life. You know, you're not a hamster on the wheel. At least, at least in your mind, you feel better, like you're taking a step forward in your life. But in the big picture, and this is where the real payoff is, is when you do these daily things, these moment-to-moment things that are that, that by the way, just become habit, you know. I don't have to like whip myself to go for a run. I don't have to have a big, you know, pep rally to get myself to the gym to lift weights. I do it because I got to do it. If I go two days without exercising, I feel horrible. I, you know, depression threatens, you know, (laughs) I've got to do it. It's just, yeah, it's just a lifetime habit. So what what happens over time is that you kind of get this, you get this big picture maturity, I think. And I, I, you know, and I'm no, know it all. I'm not some philosophical genius here, but my hunch is based on my own experience and people I've observed, I think the more you build your body, the more you strengthen your brain, the more curious you are, the more you learn, the more you the more you push the limits, your, your perceived limits, the more you do that as a habit throughout life, what you're doing is you're expanding your horizons. You're making yourself a larger life form. You're, you're connecting yourself to a bigger world, a bigger universe. And when you do that, you feel better. You feel more resilient about all the crap that's going to come your way. When you do stumble, when you do make mistakes, when unfair things happen to you, you can weather that storm better because there's more depth to you, because you're stronger physically, mentally. You know, some days I feel like an idiot. I feel stupid. But hey, at least I can run fast, you know, and that keeps me going maybe in that moment. Some days, some days I feel so fat, out of shape and slow and pathetic. But I think, hey, at least I wrote eight books. I'm not a total idiot. And so that gets gets me through the day. You know what I mean? Yes, I I love it. So I feel like the more, the more you can do, the more you can do, if you know what I mean, you know? Mm-hmm. So know exactly yeah, just keep pushing yourself and never, ever, ever slow down. I mean, seriously, the more you age, man, the better you, the, the more you age, the stronger you can be. And no matter where you are right now, you can improve in something. You can, if you, you know, I tell people, listen, you can't work out for whatever reason. You can't lift weights. You hate it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, walk, walk for 30 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, that will improve your brain and your body, just walking. And if you can't walk, if you're in a wheelchair, start rolling. Use those arms to roll those wheels. Get going, move, do what you can. There's something, you know? And I, I sound like a, you know, like a desperate preacher here, but trust me, I don't want your money. I'll ne- These people listening, you know, your listeners, I'll never meet them thing but they're they're people you know and so i care about them i i care about my fellow humans wherever you are whoever you are i care it's just something in me so please 
exercise, eat healthy, read books, watch documentaries, make social connections with other people, learn, get strong, and live your life. I mean, it just, you know, every person that, that takes that path, that that nudges our whole species towards a better place, makes it a better world because got more positive people in it. I just absolutely hung on to every word. And it just made me think that is why I started the Ageless podcast, because I did um, I did a transformation, a physical, emotional, spiritual, you name it, transformation in the last, I would say, year and a half, two years. And I've done a lot of healing work, a lot of deep work. And I also turned 40 last year. And I feel like I'm at the beginning of my life. I've never had as much energy. I've wow. never felt stronger. I've never felt yeah. more clear in my mind. I've never felt kinder. And yeah. it just it just is springboarding all these feelings for me. And I think, you know what? I'm not afraid of age. And P.S., I actually feel like I'm 19 years old. I feel younger today than I did even 10 years ago. And wow. so you're yeah. right in everything that you said. I I, I feel like That's it's evidence-based. Yeah. It really yeah. starts from within and it yeah. starts with the understanding of the mind, like you were saying, yeah. and venturing yeah. out, living your yeah. life and, and yeah. also taking care of your body and having the right nutrition, eating whole foods, taking the right supplements to fill in the gaps of what you're not yeah. getting through diet alone. Yeah. And it's like high performance, high performance will allow you to do all the things that you mentioned. Yeah. And you know, Jenny, you just made me think of something I should have mentioned earlier is that I, I have this uh, belief that when you're taking care of your body and your brain, I hate, I hate, I hate, by the way, when I say body and brain as if they're so separate, you know, they're all so connected. Yeah. Uh -huh. One is the other, the other, you know, I mean, they, they both feed off each other so intimately. It almost is stupid to speak of them separately, but, but when you're taking care of your body and you're taking care of your brain, it makes it easier for you to take care of others, to care about others, because you just, and by the way, when I say, you know, we're, you and I both, I think, will agree on this. When we're saying take care of your body, take care of your mind, your brain, we don't mean you have to be competing in Miss Fitness competitions or running, right. you know, no, we weren't super fast 400 meters, or you have to be some, you know, super intellectual, you know, with a PhD. What All you have to be doing really is moving in the right direction, improving your body, improving your mind. You know, when you're moving in the right direction at your own pace, as long as you're, you're in the game, going in the right direction, making those, those consistent improvements for yourself, you feel so much better about yourself that you can more easily reach out to others and you can be kinder to those around you than you probably would be otherwise when you're, you know, your body's going in the opposite direction where you want it to be going. And when your, your, your brain is just filled with more anxiety than anything else, you know, because man, it just makes you a, um, I guess a more grounded person or something. I don't know. Cause me, for example, I'm a, I'm an introvert. I mean, I'm, I'm like a shy person. I'm a, just, you know, I'm the, I'm the nerd in the corner at Starbucks with a laptop, you know, hoping nobody comes and wants to talk to me and just leave me alone, you know, <laughs> but yet, but yet, you know, I've found myself on stages talking to a thousand people and on, you know, uh, radio shows talking to a million people and, and yet I can do it. I can find the strength and all. And that has come from me just making myself sort of a, 
a, a far from perfect person, but a person who's at least trying to move in the right direction with my life because it gives you, it does really does give you a kind of confidence, you know, that can just be aimed at anything in life. And, and it's such a beautiful thing where, you know, I just, nothing feels better to me than to just talk to somebody for 10 minutes about an exercise program, you know, or yeah. a few book, a few books that I would recommend they read, you know, because I walk away, you know, hopeful that, wow, maybe I just made that person's whole life a little bit better. You know, if they, if they took that advice and it feels good, you know, it's a, it's a rewarding thing because man, we're such social creatures. We humans, you know, we need each other. We rely on each other. We are social primates to the max. To the max. So when we, yeah, when we connect with somebody, even if it's for two minutes, you know, and you never see him again. If that connection is positive in the moment, man, it's great. It, it contributes to our lives. I've loved everything that you've shared. I feel like this is such a treat. I think you're such a badass. I really do. I really <laughs> well, do. Thank guy. you. You too. You thank too. you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'd love to have you back again, like I said. Oh, uh, anytime, anytime. You know, one little footnote here, and I'm going to shut up. I keep going, but no, no, strength, no. Strength, give us the footnote. Strength, <laughs> Strength training and weight training is it's incredible what science has revealed about it in the last five, 10 years, because we knew for quite a while now that aerobic activity is great for mental health. You know, it can really help with depression, anxiety, uh, walking, running, swimming, cycling, getting outside, you know, going for a hike. Those things are great for mental health. But wow so too is strength training. And what's amazing is they, there's one great study I cite in one of my books, a study done with a bunch of elderly people in a retirement home. They gave, put them on a strength training program, had them lifting weights, you know, weights and resistance bands and stuff like that. And they actually had more of a positive improvement in their cognitive function than elderly people who were put on a purely aerobic program. So it's interesting how, you know, still there's a big perception out there that, you know, older people or uh, women even still today, a lot of women shy away from weight training and they'll go to the aerobics class, you know, nothing right. wrong with That's my class. ideal client, by the way, but, is but, a woman that doesn't, yeah, yeah, is afraid but, of weight training. I'm like, no, I got oh, you. We're going to do this. That's my yeah, ideal client yeah. always. Yeah. But weight training is is really, it's really a necessity. I mean, honestly, as much as I love running, I, I tell people it's not enough. You need to also be lifting some heavy weights, getting stronger, keeping those bones, you know, your upper body strong. It's, it's not just running, not just cycling. You need more. So yeah, that's, that's great that you promote that with women. That's excellent. Yeah. Cause I was that woman once. And by the way, nobody ever believes me, but I am actually an introvert extrovert. And no. me. And so, yeah, I really am. I was really shy as a kid, but like you said, the more I know, the more confident I have become and the more I have taken care of my health, the more confidence I gained. And that's why yeah. I'm able to speak on this microphone. <laughs> yeah. No, well, excellent. That's your another success story. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There so, go. well, I have just loved this conversation and I know we're out of time, but, um, is there anything else you'd love to leave the audience with? No, that's fine. I've, I've been rambling so much. I've been, listen, thank you for having me. And I, I'm happy to do it again sometime. No problem. If uh, if your listeners want to check out uh, my books, probably the easiest way is just go to Amazon, search Guy P. Harrison, P as in peace and love, 
um, Guy nice. P. Harrison. I'm on Twitter, Harrison Author. Um, and yeah, I just encourage your listeners, stay positive. Keep listening to this podcast and keep moving forward, mind and body. Thank you so much. And I, like I said, I'm going to put some links in the show notes so you can follow Guy. And, and again, thank you for coming on the show. All right. You're so welcome. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Ageless. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Tune in next week for a new episode.